0: From the Financial Times in London, I'm Ravi Mathu and this is FT News. It's been a dream of physicists and computer scientists for over three decades. But is quantum computing finally getting closer to reality? In the coming weeks, Microsoft and Google are expected to make announcements that could mean we are closer than ever to using the properties of quantum mechanics to greatly speed up computing. Joining me to discuss this are Clive Cookson, the FT's science editor in London, and from San Francisco, the FT's West Coast managing editor, Richard Waters. Richard, let me start with you. I thought quantum computing was years away. Why does it suddenly seem to have become the subject of a race between the big tech companies?
1: Well, you're right, it is years away. And, you know, we're more accustomed to seeing these companies fight over the next computing platform, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality. But, you know, what we're seeing here is they're fighting over science. And the reason for that is quite clear. If quantum computing can be brought to a commercial reality, it'll be a revolution. The step change in computing will be so great that any company, and I think also any country, that fails to make this will be left irrelevant fairly quickly. So, you know, this is a very, very high stakes thing. Microsoft and IBM have been investing for well more than a decade in this technology and others are joining and I don't think they have any option.
0: So, Clive, what is the state of the science behind this? Where are we at?
2: The science, despite all these breakthroughs, is very uncertain. We don't even know what a quantum computer is going to be made from. What it needs is some atom or some subatomic particle that can be in one of two quantum states. And now it's getting complicated. In fact, quantum technology is the most complicated thing I have to explain in the whole of my science journalism. And you need something. Let's take an atom. It can have a spin of one or zero. And it's in both those states at the same time. You need lots of these atoms all linked together. It's called entangled. And you need a system where the entanglement won't suddenly disappear. That means either it's got to be very, very close to absolute zero or or there's got to be some other way of doing it. You can do that with atoms, you can do that with strange particles, you can even do it with light particles, photons, just held up by a laser. It's all very, very complicated. There are many different labs in academia as well as in companies. We're getting some results, but there are such a long way to go in the hardware. And also the software, because once we've made these things, how are you going to program
0: them? That's going to be a formidable challenge as well, which hasn't really been addressed yet. So we still have a long way to go. I mean, Richard, I mentioned in the intro these announcements or markers that we might hit quite soon. Can you give us a sense of what Microsoft and Google are talking about? And in particular, if they achieve the aims of quantum computing, what will that technology be used for?
1: Well, so I thought, Clive, thought your description was excellent. It's something that none of us really understand. But I think you know part of the reason that there's a lot of interest in this right now is that some of these quantum bits are functioning and companies are having some success at linking them. And so if you talk to Microsoft, for instance, they'll say, well, we think this is an engineering problem now, no longer a science problem, because as soon as you can get functional bits, you can connect functional bits. It's like all computing. It's about scaling up, building systems, programming. I mean, phenomenally difficult problems ahead, but you know, maybe we're moving into a different phase of the development. So I think that's partly the reason why we're seeing so much interest right now. And in terms of the long range here, I think there are three things that people are really fixed on. One is the ability to break encryption, which sounds more like a threat than a promise. But the algorithm that could do this, that could break all our current encryption, was actually written a couple of decades ago. And I think it's one of the things that really fix people's minds on this because they realize, you know, if you can build the hardware to make this algorithm work, then uh, everything changes. So that's one thing. A second focus is on materials and the ability to model entirely new materials because you're doing things down at the atomic level or subatomic level. So, you know, an example of that is nitrogen fixation. So all the nitrogen that currently needs to be taken out of the atmosphere to create fertilizers, you know, there's a huge amount of energy that goes into that process. And if you could design a catalyst from scratch that did that the savings and the impact on climate change could be huge and then just quickly a third thing is in the area of machine learning we're all fixated on the masses of data that could be used for artificial intelligence and with these machines with this kind of exponential speed up in computing uh, the potential in machine learning would be completely different
0: Clive, you've spoken about the challenge of the science behind this, and Richard's highlighted very nicely some of the potential applications and implications of what maybe is being achieved. What do you gauge and what do experts think in your world about when we might get somewhere?
2: I think we're probably a decade away from a quantum computer that will be commercially available and do some things that really can't be done by conventional silicon chip-based computers. Before that, we will get claims of quantum computers that can do things that no silicon-based conventional computer can do, the so-called cracking the quantum supremacy obstacle. But they'll be rather artificial problems. I think it's a decade away before we get serious general-purpose quantum computers anywhere at all, and probably two or three decades before they become really commercially useful. I mean, I think picking up on Richard's points, the one he mentioned first, cryptography is going to be the first one. And there's quantum communications as opposed to quantum computing, it's linked. We can use quantum communications first. You don't have to have a computing problem. You have to have a way of splitting your communications in a way that you can send it down either optical fibres or as the Chinese have done, through a satellite. And if it's a quantum communication, it will be absolutely certain that you'll know if anyone has cracked it. So, Clive, how will we know that this has been achieved? The person sending or receiving the message will know because if someone eavesdrops on the system, it'll destroy the message. The whole quantum system collapses, the entanglement, as soon as it's observed. I mean, this is a fundamental of quantum mechanics the whole structure depends on an undisturbed system. That's why in quantum computing, you either have to have supercooling close to absolute zero or some other way of keeping the system isolated from the outside world so it's not disturbed. That's one of the big technical challenges to quantum computing. And likewise for quantum communications,
0: if someone disturbs it by observing it, foot, it's gone. So a lot of potential, a lot of excitement, but it sounds like we maybe have a few more years yet to wait until we make that big quantum leap. But we are getting a bit closer along the road. Clive Cookson in London, uh, Richard Waters in San Francisco. Thanks both very much.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com. That's Have
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?